0: Hey everyone, Vomit in the AM, Scoops and the Wolf, and I guess I don't know. I guess we should come up with nicknames for our guests. It seems weird to just say, "Oh," and then Kara Ellison is joining us. I think that sounds so boring next to Scoops and the Wolf. Oh, there you go. Wow.
1: Yeah, I don't. I can't think of an actual nickname right now. So I'm just. I, I'm. I'm just resorting to my old
0: sound effects. You know, bag of tropes. Sorry. Awesome. <laughs> do you do you, well? Let's let's dive into this a little bit, Kara. Do you ha- is there a nickname? Do people have a nickname for you, or have you been nicknameless uh, as hey, you have gone hey, through life?
2: I I have been nicknameless so far. I think. I mean. I mean. People tend to call me by Kara Chan, which is my. That is oh, in Twitter fact name. my Twitter name. Yes. And I can't really remember how I got my Twitter name. I think it was something like an IRC. You know, back in the day. Uh, an IRC uh, nickname that I had because uh, I had a Japanese friend who called me Karachan, which is just like a sort of friendly term for for someone. so, um yeah, so I think I just had it since then. So yeah, people just call me that. And actually they do that sort of spider man song where they're like Karachan, Karachan. see that. you know that's pretty good. that's
0: change. that's much better than my <laughs> uh, my IRC nickname story, which is that. Uh, when I joined IRC, and I was, you know, 12, 13, or whatever, I thought the name Extremer with a capital X would be a cool name.
2: Extremer. Yeah,
0: with a capital X, because when, when you're 12, that that seems like the way to differentiate yourself is to just capitalize the X. <laughs> were and you just, I like, had... slamming Mountain Dews
1: and watching extreme sports all the time while you were on IRC? I, I mean, that was the rise of Tony Hawk,
0: and, yeah, yeah. I was 12, so, you, you know, probably, <laughs> And I had the good fortune uh, that uh, a friend of mine in, uh, in, the, in that chat room managed to, because I was 12, like, people, like, I, I was younger than, than most of the people uh, in there in this video game channel that I hung out with. So they started, they kind of started calling me Exy, E-X-X-Y. I was like, oh, cute little Exy, like the young little Exy. So I ended up changing my name to that, which sounds like that's sort of like a name that you might have come up with yourself or was given to you. But if you know the deep, dark root, uh, which is that it's extremer, <laughs> Uh, it's much <laughs> It's much less cool.
2: What an amazing evolution.
0: I'm going to find yeah. a way to hold that over your head for the rest of your life. Yeah. Know, just so you know. Well, everything else embarrassing about myself is is on the Internet, so you might as well sure. just get all your secrets out there and just just deal with it from there. It's
2: really weird, though. I, feel, I would feel sad for for all of today's sort of teens who are going to grow up on the Internet and then have all of these logs of, I mean, just like... That's terrifying gibberish on the internet that they did when they were like 10. So yeah, fast.
0: no, I am I am so happy that I am... I was on the, you know, sort of the edge of that. You know, Facebook was coming in when I was um, in college and I, you know, so then I s- saw the evolution of that, but what, you know, how I acted in middle school and high school, I don't want a record of that. No. That's supposed to be a time <laughs> when you can be a complete asshole and then learn that you shouldn't be that person anymore. Yeah. Um, Oh, so, people don't know, Carrie, you are uh, now now a full time writer uh, over in the in the UK. But you were in game yeah. development uh, not too long ago. Do you want to give people yeah. a little sense of your of your background?
2: Sure. Well, I have a really weird uh, career sort of path. So, I I wanted to be a, a, a book publisher when I was uh, at university because I studied English literature. Um, so I always thought I was going to be a, an editor and not a writer. Um, And then uh, when I left university, I accidentally got a job uh, doing QA for Rockstar North on GTA 4. And and that kind of changed my direction a little bit, and I became much more interested in, like, I've always been interested in games, but I became more interested in getting a job in it. Um, And so I lived, I went, after I finished that, I went to live in Japan for two years, uh, teaching English, and then that sort of, uh got me even more interested in video games. So when I and when I came back, um I kind of accidentally uh fell into um doing stuff uh like production um and, and I started a job at Little Loud which is in Brighton in the UK and we made um we were sort of became infamous like infamous I guess for making Sweatshop HD which was removed from the app store. Right. Um because it they thought it was too sensitive, or they said that they didn't want a sweatshop theme game on the uh, app store. So, um, so yeah, um, we ended up closing that studio. So now I, I, I mean, I've been sort of writing about games for a little while on and off, and then now I do it full time. So, yeah, uh, and
0: that, I, was the, that was the outfit we were uh, you were working
2: with Simon Parkin, right? That's right. Uh, Simon was uh, my boss. He was head of games at Little Light. Um, and now it's really weird. Now we kind of work side by side. We're both free, full-time freelancers, although he still helps me out uh, with my grammar, you know, occasionally. <laughs> but, um, yeah,
0: yeah. Simon, Simon Parkin, the writer that anytime he publishes something, it bums everyone out because it's so much better than anything all of us could have a, done.
2: <laughs> he's a really, really great investigative journalist, and it's just because he's so he's so interested in that side of stuff. He's so, he's, he's interested in how in what people aren't covering. Um, which I think I really admire, because he's got a nose for the, the parts of video games that people aren't really having a look at, a close look at. Um, yeah, his his uh, piece for The New Yorker on um, um, Iraqis playing video games was super interesting, I think.
0: Yeah, and he, he, he also had a, a really good one about uh, people's infamous search for the uh, Yeti or the Sasquatch in Grand yeah. Theft Auto 3? For? No, San Andreas. I San didn't. Andreas. Andreas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, where he, you know, he went and deep-dived into those communities where they are still st- trying to search for that creature, even though the developers have said, like, nope, just stop it. But you know, yeah. it's the idea that people have created a myth that they, uh, they kind of just like exploring themselves. So anyway, we didn't, we didn't come on here to talk about Simon Parkin as just, his,
2: just like, yeah, like, <laughs> as naturally as
0: that happens.
2: And oh, um, um, he's dreamy though. Um, but, yeah, um, yeah, no. I, I mostly work for uh, Rock, Paper, Shotgun, and The Guardian, and PC Gamer now. Um, I'm mainly a PC-based uh, lady, but I've been doing more console stuff uh, as well for your gamer and things. So, yeah.
1: Can, can you relay a message to, your, uh, to, to, to the others at, at Rock, Paper, Shotgun of me just giving the middle finger to them for showing us Barbie Dreamhouse Party? Because, holy shit, that... <sighs> they started this whole thing.
0: <laughs> and
1: they started. It. The they ones started. to finish the it. finished
2: it. <laughs> oh my gosh! You should look up. You should look up. Um, we, did, me and John Walker, did uh, not long ago. We did top baby games, where they're like these oh. little flash games that are like oh. made specifically for women and girls, and they're so awful, like so painful. And um, we we both sort of reviewed. Um, Selena's hair care, which is a terrible flash game. <laughs> oh no! It's so good though, it's really good, and I didn't even know it was Selena Gomez because I, have, my pop culture knowledge is obviously terrible. But um, yeah, it No, was my, my of, pop
1: culture knowledge is pretty good, and even I am vaguely, only vaguely aware of Selena Gomez is because of Spring Breakers. <laughs> Beyond that, I have no idea what her context is.
2: I know. I was just, I was like, and then it was, it was basically you have to make her like hair care product out of organic vegetables or something, I don't know, and I was just like, what on earth, like, I don't even understand what's going on here, so yeah, it was um, very funny, so that's also one you should check out, but yeah, I will relay um, your enthusiasm to the, uh, or middle fingers, middle fingers to the, um,
1: just just Vs all over the place.
2: Just yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah. Finger
1: lasers all over the place to both guys. But yeah. Or in yeah. the British
2: way. The British way, which is V's, V's do the Vs. That's that's what we do. <laughs> like um, but yeah. <laughs> I will oh. do that.
0: <laughs> one of the one of the one of the things that you've been actually been doing over here at Rock River Shotgun, I think on um, maybe on your YouTube channel too, you've been you've been playing Half-Life for the first time?
2: That's right. Um, Which is,
0: how did you manage to get this far? I didn't know games writers were allowed to become games writers without having at least played Half-Life, but somehow you got
2: around it. Yeah, this is the strangest thing, Patrick, because every games journalist that I come across is like, actually, I haven't played Half-Life either, or, oh, no. or I never finished Half-Life, and I'm like, oh, and did you know that Kieran Gillen never finished Half-Life?
0: That's that's surprisingly egregious for the, the man's writing on, on games like yeah, Thief right? and the er- like, and games of the era.
2: But I feel like it, it clashed with his Thiefness at the time or something, <laughs> so that's probably nice. He's played Thief like, so many times over, but... um. So yeah, and it's weird because I felt really kind of like I was ma- I was missing a context for something. I feel like Half-Life actually made a context for a lot of video games and um, and was revolutionary, like, revolutionary in so many ways that I, I felt like I was missing out. And so I said to John Walker, I was like, well, I'm going to play through it for the first time. I want to see uh, what everyone's always been talking about. And, you know, everyone's getting um, kind of impatient for the next Half-Life and whether it exists or not. Um, so I thought um, maybe I would go back and play the original, and um, and it's just really fascinating. I feel like there are lots of things that uh, Half-Life takes from film, particularly action film, that um, are really really interesting because mostly fil- what films uh, what games do is they take. Um, they actually take some tropes from film, like uh, cutscenes, or to tell stories. And they use that in, um, in games. And I feel like that's actually not the best thing that we could be taking from film. And I think Half-Life, the developers at Half-Life thought so too. And I think they, instead, what they took from film is um, jump cuts. Like in uh, the recent Thirty Flights of Loving, they also did quite a lot of jump cuts. And I think that that's something that they took from film, where they moved the player character entirely. Um, and you can move, and the idea that you can move the player character forwards and backwards in time, or to another location, to let you see like the foreboding of what's going to happen to you. Um, I think in the beginning of Half Life, you're transported to Zen, uh, is that right? And then you, because um, like when the uh, reactor explodes, you're transported to Zen for a few seconds, mm-hmm. um, and then you come back, and you're, and everything's gone terribly wrong, um, which is partly your own fault. And um, and it's really really interesting because that that sort of mechanism itself is a really great storytelling mechanism that no one's really I don't know experimented with since apart from I guess Blendo, who um, um, did Thirty Flights of Loving, isn't that right Blendo Games?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, yeah. it was one of those things that when I played uh, Thirty Flights of Loving, you know, strikes it really it really. Is apparent, you know, the jump cut because it's it's kind of like the primary mechanic for like moving the story forward. And I mean, it happens in such a compressed period of time that you notice it much more pronounced. Whereas uh, in Half Life, you know, kind of like in a film, you don't necessarily think consciously jump cut. Like it's just part of the storytelling, and it's just a way yeah. of conveying uh, a sense of place and character um, and, and emotion. Whereas in Thirty Flights of Loving, like it is one of its, it because it happens so fast, you're just like oh, okay, jump out, jump out, jump out, like we must have moved, like we've moved, we've moved, we've moved. Uh, Whereas in Half-Life, you know, because it takes place over such a longer period of time, it just kind of naturally, you don't necessarily notice that they're using that technique.
2: That's right, and it's, it's, it's definitely more of a novelty in 30 flights. Um than it is in Half-Life. Half-Life, it's very much like a tool for telling, uh, like one of the tools in the toolbox for telling a story. Um, but yeah, and the other thing I really I really noticed in the beginning was the idea of having, um, um, making the player feel um, at the environment's mercy is something that I always, I think some of the best games exploit really well. Um, I actually think that what we, do, we tend to do now is overpower our heroes and we tend to make them way too powerful and have too many guns and have too many opportunities to make us like feel like su- superhuman almost. And that actually isn't particularly, I don't find it very fun anymore. It used to be because it was novelty, but now I'm kind of like, actually, the real tension in games, I, I think, and the real interest and in the real engagement comes from actually... Um, from feeling like you might be vulnerable in some way, from from vulnerability. And I think that's one of the things that Jim Rossumil said about um, Thief on the 15th anniversary of Thief. He said, uh, some of my favorite games are all about vulnerability. And um, and I think that, that Half-Life really does make you feel entirely at its mercy all of the time, through loads of scripted events, like things will fall away, or um, horrible, dramatic things will happen in front of you. Uh, scientists will be completely splattered as you walk through the door. Um, and you'll be showered with gore. Um, there's lots of things that they, like Half-Life experimented with. And also the fact that, you know, the ammo is always short. You're always short of ammo. And it's right. like in Resident Evil. It's almost survival horror. Resident Evil is like at, you're short on um, ink ribbons, you're short on yeah. ammo, you're constantly your control systems are completely out of control because Jill controls like a tank, you know. So it's it's I think that's one of my favorite things about games that tension, that feeling of like I'm not gonna make it.
0: Alex, please tell me you've you've played Half Life, right? We haven't had this conversation, but I we just have it. I, I, have, just... I have I have okay. played Half Life. It was a very
1: very long time ago, like when Half Life. Was relatively new, and I have not touched it since then. And to be honest, I've probably forgotten more about Half Life than than most people remember at this point. So, uh, did you
2: complete it? Did you go all the way to Zen? Oh,
1: God, I can't
0: remember if I. It's it, distinctly possible I did not actually. I, it's possible I, I, I definitely, did. I definitely did. And once you get to Zen, and you, you know, Kara, have you finished it yet? I
2: have just almost finished it I think what I'm gonna do is put up my concluding post on Rock paper shotgun this week and uh, okay. but I've got so much video and it's like 20 hours long or something so.
0: it's, it's yeah it's a long it's a long game and the end is terrible like that's also one of the famous <laughs> things about half-life is that the final section of sort of this you know genre or an industry defining game in terms of like figuring out storytelling in first person is just yeah. god-awful like the entire Zen <laughs> sequence that is teased up front is just Horrifying because all of a sudden they decided to turn the game into a platformer, um, yeah. and it is just really unclear uh, why why that might happen. But I'm I'm curious to see uh, you know what you thought of the end.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people on Twitter have been saying stop at Zen, stop at Zen, and I'm tempted to because I no, you've have
0: got actually... to see all the way through. You ha- if you've gone that far, you need to suffer like the rest of us did and and see the, all end right. of the game
2: because it's funny because. Um, I've been playing it for something like four weeks or something in between my other work and I'm just, I'm really feeling it. It's really, it's actually an endurance run now. It's kind of like, you have to finish it. This is one of the the biggest games you'll ever play, you need to finish this game. Uh, but there's there have been moments where bees have been flying at my face in this game and I'm like, I want to give up, I want to give up. <laughs>
1: I mean, bees in my face would certainly make me want to run in the
0: other direction just too. Bees.
2: Certainly. Bees in face. Nobody lizard. likes bees. Just everywhere bees. Why bees?
0: Yeah, just... it's it's an underrated uh, video game enemy. That's like for me, it's spiders. Yeah. Like when spiders show oh, up, yeah. it's just you know. And like when I played through Metro Last Light earlier this year, and that game has some, that game has some fucked up spiders. Like I didn't. Yeah. Like <laughs> there are some sequences in that that just. It, you're just kind of closing your eyes and just like shooting through I don't really care how poorly I do in this section I just want the spiders to go away um <laughs> and I'm I'm truly scared of next-gen spiders if, if if there's anything I'm afraid about of game designers having increased fidelity it is their ability to create more uh, realistic uh, spiders because I don't I just don't want it I want to opt for out that. I want a season pass to get rid of all spiders <laughs> from my
1: games for for the next generation they're actually going to take bees and then they're going to take spiders and they're going to make a bee and a spider that will go in one thing oh, flying and... sp- flying spiders that sounds
0: terrible With stingers uh... it's
2: like it's like in space where she says it's sp- he says that spiders and mice are going to breed and then it's going to be a horrible spider mice c- uh. oh gross that would be the worst for me i don't like mice yeah. but um yeah I I feel like creepy qualities in general though in games are awful. I I just don't like them at all. I have a real fear of ants, so if anyone ever makes a game about ants, <laughs> I don't think I could handle it. You um, should you should play with what
0: was it? There was Sim Ant. Is
2: there Sim Ant?
0: There is. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Just do a YouTube video of me putting in that. Which yeah, just would, yeah,
0: like... just cringing the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure how that exactly worked, but maybe that's like a like a, a fine line where you could engage with the ant without it, you know. But it's a game from like the '90s, so like it can't creep you out too bad, probably. Yeah, so maybe stay away from like Earth Defense
1: Force though, because there's a lot yeah. of really
0: large spiders
1: and ants and other things in those games that are are gigantic and building sized.
2: Oh my gosh. Uh, and I quite like the bit in Half Life where you know you get those little beetle things that you can pick up as a kind of you can throw them at, right. at people and then they try and eat their kneecaps or something. <laughs> I thought those were amusing um, because it got to the bit where there's ninjas, really annoying bastard, annoying ninjas. They're mm. like these skinny ladies who like jump all over the place and um, they're just so annoying and you can't kill them and I just grenade them eventually. But essentially, uh, you can what you have a really good time by hiding around a corner throwing one of those beetles at them, and then just hearing them, like, freak out and shoot it. And I'm just, like, sitting behind the corner going, hee, hee, hee.
0: Someone doesn't (laughs) like creepy, crawly stuff. uh, You're taking a sick amount of pleasure out of destroying those ninjas with your little bugs.
2: Well, I think they have the best idol animation. I don't know if you remember that. Basically, uh, yeah, they kind of like crawl
0: in your hand, right? Yeah, like... and
2: they kind of crawl around, and then he he goes like this, and then the thing tries to bite him, and he's like, ah. <laughs> and it's just the best idol animation. I'm really a fan. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I'm going to change the topic of conversation. Great idea, uh, <laughs> Alex. Did you? What were you playing over this weekend?
1: Oh man, uh, let's see. I actually played a bunch of stuff. I finally got into Dead Rising Three. Um, which yeah. I played a few hours of And I am liking a good bit More than certainly two uh, And probably even one My problem with that series has always been I found the time limits so restrictive And the the design of those games So antithetical to the fun part Which is just mowing down zombies In the most absurd ways possible mm. uh, That This one finally scratches that itch In a way that I feel like I can get behind mm. Uh Dead Rising 3, I mean, the original Dead Rising was, you know, a neat first effort, and it had some cool ideas, and the mall thing was neat, and I fucking hated Frank West, but whatever. Um, this one feels like they have finally got, a, like, they've got the reins on what that game should be. Yes, it is still, the story is still almost offensively stupid, and uh, I hate pretty much all the human characters in it, but the act of creating weapons to destroy zombies and the vehicles and all that stuff... Finally, feels like a formula that I am excited about, and if they make another one of these, I will actually get like really interested in whatever they decide to do next. Like this one, I paid almost no attention to going in because I've just I'd kind of written that series off. But now they, I think they have a direction that makes sense.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm 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 probably on the other side of the camp, in in that I, I think it's a cop out that they have made the normal mode not the. Oppressive you still got your nightmare straight. mode there, man. I know, but I feel. Like, by shifting it to the side, and I guess maybe if they had set the game up sort of like how Halo does with its heroic mode, where it says this is the way to play the game as opposed to defining it as this is a harder, more extreme version of the game. Um, Because I feel like the time mechanic is sort of part of what really defines Dead Rising. I know that there are other parts that are appealing, and it definitely depends on your preference, but I feel like the oppressive nature of the time. And, you know, this is coming from someone that loves Majora's Mask. Maybe it's not a surprise that I'm just, like, Dead Rising is as close to another Majora's Mask in a weird sort of way uh, in, in the sense that you, you know, the time is something you're competing against at all. It's the biggest villain in the game. Like, there are zombies, but really what you're fighting is time. Um, and I just found that to be a defining characteristic of the game, and I understood why it put people off. But by removing it, and it's not completely removing it, but it kind of removes it because most people aren't going to engage with it. It pushes uh,
1: it pretty far to the back.
0: Yeah, and so I, when I when I do get around to playing the game, uh, which probably won't be until early next year, uh, I'm probably going to play it with that stuff turned on because it's like sure. if I'm going to play this game once, like I, I kind of want to play it, uh, you know, sort of how it was meant to be played, I guess. Yeah,
1: I mean, for me, it's. It's not that I hated the, the the notion of the the time mechanic. It's that I found it the way they had it in especially in the first one, so oppressive, uh, especially in conjunction with the difficulty level and sort of the 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 boss designs and all that stuff in that game that I just I just didn't enjoy it as much as I probably would have thought I could, considering you know, i I, I, I fucking love zombie games back then, and I, I I should have I felt like I should have liked Dead Rising one more. Uh, two, I just, I went in, I played a few hours of it and was like, this, I don't care for any of this. This is not working at all uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but this one, I don't know. I, it just, it feels like they finally got to the zombie playground, the, the zombie sandbox thing that they've, they've been trying at since that game first came about. And, you know, it retains some of that weirdness too. And it retains some of that, that bizarre flavor that the first one had without necessarily fixing what was wrong with some of that flavor as well. Um I don't know. I mean I went in expecting basically nothing out of that game. I, I, I didn't have any expectations going in and the first like four hours or so that I've played of it, five hours, it's been I've I've been really into it. I've been enjoying like it, it's not the situation where before like every time I would save in you know in a safe house or a bathroom or something, uh I would like sort of dread going back out and having to fight, you know, all the zombies running around. Right. This time, now I'm like, okay, well, I can just fashion another, you know, giant dragon head or fucking, you know, chainsaw sledgehammer or whatever, and I'm just going to run around and kill stuff. Because it's not that it's, it's there's no danger to it, but it feels like, I finally feel like empowered enough to just actually make that the big dumb playground that they've been kind of shooting for forever with that series.
2: I think part of me is, is kind of rejoicing that they've done the big dumb playground that you're talking about, but also like, it's kind of a bit... I don't know. Something about me is like it's a bit creatively kind of. It's just more of the same, except, I mean, they didn't really do anything next gen with it apart from just make it massive, like bigger. Yes, you're right. And so it's kind of. And yeah, as you say, like they've pretty much taken away the much of the time constraints, so it's kind of a bit of an odd. It's almost like they've just made DLC except massive. <laughs> because. You're not yeah, wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah. I, now I go ahead. Also, I kind I kind of really like the idea that you know you can like mash two vehicles together and then just mow some zombies down hours on Arizona's hours. and I really love the extraordinary lengths they've gone to to invent like ridiculous like tools and like weapons and silly stuff because they're all fantastic and and amazing and there's some ridiculous costumes in there and you know the main character he is stupidly hot I'm not complaining but um, <laughs> like it's just one of those things where you're kind of like they could have experimented a little bit with this franchise, but I think they kind of missed that opportunity, maybe.
0: I, I I mean, think, I think, yeah, I think a lot of the problems with the Dead Rising is, like, it's, you know, it was a... You know, it's made by Capcom. This one's funded by Microsoft. It started as a Japanese a very Japanese-style video game that was then handed to a Canadian developer who was asked to make a very Japanese-style video game. And then this is the first one where it's funded by a Western company and then made by a Canadian company. And it seems like they got their first chance to kind of start defining how they want it to be. So it doesn't shock me that this is a weird amalgamation of a bunch of different interests and, like, weird old stuff and kind of new stuff. And it seems like maybe they need another game before they'd be able to kind of fully put their own print on it.
2: Yeah, I mean,
1: keep in
0: mind, good. this is a launch game, you
1: know, like, that. this yeah. is one of those things where it's like, they're just, this is almost like a proof of concept for, like, what they can do with the size and the scope of that, you know, what they want to do with that series from here on out, and, yeah, I mean, in that respect, the story kind of suffers a lot, the characters suffer a lot, and, you know, they obviously scaled back some of the mechanics that some people, you know, absolutely love. Some, like you, you love that time constraint stuff and, and all that shit, but you know, at this point now they have at least shown that, you know, here's some of this crazy shit we can do with this new technology. Here's what we can push forward with next time. Maybe they'll find a way to balance it a little bit more in favor of some of the crazier, you know, time limit difficulty stuff while still retaining the size of the world and the, you know, the, the, the free zombie murdering, uh, that, that I think has, has been kind of, not uh, sorry, perfected, but has definitely been improved greatly in this one. So, you know, at le- at the very least, this one has got me back into Dead Rising. I am interested in what Dead Rising is from here on out. Whereas after 2, I was all but ready to just say, you know what, I am done with that series altogether.
2: What do you think of the Kinect controls for it? Because I was sitting by this lovely uh, he uh, a boss fight boss designer, I think, he mm-hmm. was trying to take me through it, and he was saying, everyone who's played this game today, um, whenever, you, whenever they wanted to shake off a zombie, they were kind of like, in front of the Kinect, like right. ah, like this, and he said that um he basically said to me you're you're just like a you're just like a dead you're just like nope, <laughs> 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 and I, I started to like get really self-aware of the fact that I was just being like nope no zombies here, and um and he was just like laughing at me and I wonder if it's really necessary to have that kind of you know, motion control with a zombie game? I don't know. Maybe it makes it more fun. I have no idea. What are your what are your uh, feelings on it?
1: I, it certainly doesn't make it more fun. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> I'm also wondering if maybe that's how you would react if an actual zombie jumped on top, if you would just be like, no. nope, no. motherfucker, not <laughs> happening. Whereas everyone else would do the, you know, panic flailing thing, which is certainly what I've done a couple of times. Um, I find them wholly unnecessary. I especially find the uh, the voice aspect super unnecessary, where I'm like... There's like a boss fight early on where you, you, in order to taunt him to come after you on his giant uh, flaming motorcycle of death, you have to <laughs> yell, you're crazy, into the connect. But I, it, as, as I would continue to do it, I would get more and more monotone. So at a certain point, I'm just kind of going, you're crazy. And then he would just start screaming and then come after me. Like, it's, it was just- That's
0: actually kind of amazing.
1: Yeah. And it, it's, it's dumb. But at the same time, maybe there's a little bit of merit not necessarily in the way they intended uh, in that you can kind of play with that stuff a little bit on your own. But I, I find all that shit wholly unnecessary for the most part.
0: <laughs> uh, the yeah. the the game that I got uh, super into over the weekend, mm-hmm. uh, Alex will be happy to hear I finally started playing Assassin's Creed 4. Excellent. Uh, Black Flag, which all I have to say is <laughs> shanties, man. Yeah. Holy shit. So, I
2: don't play this, but I want to
0: I want a shanty. It's So in the game, you know, you're, you're playing a pirate, and eventually pretty long, you get a pirate crew in your own ship, and when you are uh, going about the world, um, before you've unlocked a lot of the fast travel stuff that allows you to skip those moments, your your crew sings shanties, and they sing them like they're really cool, like you can hear them like really loudly and clearly, and not only that, they've turned shanties into a collectible. So when you're, like, exploring the world, there are little music notes that you have to chase down, and that unlocks a new shanty for your crew to sing while you pilot. Like, it's amazing. Like, they, like, Wait, I
1: imagine hate... if in GTA V you had to chase down songs for your radio. That sounds That's awesome. That's basically what it is.
2: That's so cool. I'm so excited by the prospect of this. No one it's, told I, me about shanties.
0: <laughs> I think it's, it's one of those things that, it recognizes how dumb most collectibles are. Like, collectibles I, I tend to really dislike because they are often uh, busy work that that largely just scratches an itch for people that need to complete everything that I think yeah. games uh, take advantage of um, in really bad ways to, to pad out the length of them. Um, and I think the collectible, or the, the shanties, are like, they're fun because they're little platforming sequences where you have to, like, actually navigate the world uh, in a way that you can catch up with it and grab it. And then it gives you something meaningful, which is your crew singing a different song as you're going about the world. And there's like four or five of them to collect on each island that you come across. And it's just, man, it's the right kind of dumb in mm-hmm. the best in the best way. And it just, it, it's the first thing I do when I get to a new island, is like, where are the shanties? I need to chase down these songs. I need more songs. Uh, and then you can like pull up the lyrics and stuff like that. It's just Man, I'm having a ton of fun with that game, despite the fact that I really disliked Assassin's Creed 3. I was ready to be done with the franchise. But this one is just... The the pirate stuff is just so much fun.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly where I was uh, coming off of 3. Because I I stopped that game about six hours in. I was like, this is just a slog. I'm enjoying none of this. This is self-serious and dumb. Whereas 4 pretty much right from the get-go is like, nope, motherfucker, we're going full pirate with this, like, shit's gonna be crazy, you're gonna be driving boats, like, there's, it, it does not waste your time getting you into what that world is and what they have intended for you. Um, and out, uh, the further in you get and the more, like, weird pirate characters start showing up and the, the, the crazier the betrayals and, and soap opera stuff gets in that game, the better it gets, I think. Um... I, again, I can still probably totally do without any of the present-day stuff, because I still think that's the worst part of all Assassin's Creed, but uh, this one does so little of that compared to the way the rest, like, you know, all the Desmond stuff in every other game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's why this one might be among my favorites, because it, ju- for the most part, it just stays in piratey times, and almost all the piratey time stuff is really, really well done.
0: Yeah, it's it's it really is a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to to, to playing some more, especially because we're game of the year stuff it's starts as, Yeah, oh, starts yeah. this week. Um, and and I, so I also managed to put to bed uh, uh, a link between worlds, uh, cool. which I put most of my weekend into, and that is a truly fantastic game. Uh, yeah, I was I was sad to see the credits roll uh, on that one, and fortunately, it seems like when you finish it, you can still jump into your save, I think, and and go explore the world a little bit more. Uh, if you want to, to see more of the secrets. But, yeah, highly, highly recommended. Not that uh, that hasn't happened already uh, for people with that game. But, yeah, I, I enjoyed A Link Between Worlds quite uh, a bit. Um, Kara, are you, are you playing anything else right now?
2: Um, I just finished playing um, a game called The Novelist. Have you heard of it?
0: I have. I've heard uh, of The Novelist. Kent Hudson's, right?
2: Kent Hudson. Yes. Kent yes. Hudson, that's yeah. who sent it to me. Um, and it's a really kind of thoughtful look into uh, family relations and um, and just like basically how small decisions can change sort of the course of your whole life um, and basically affect the outcome of your relationships with people. Um, and in that way, it's a really interesting concept. But part of me is sort of dubious as to whether... It's really achieved it. Um, did you play it, Alex?
1: No. I have not played it yet. No.
2: Okay.
0: I, I played. I played a short demo of it. I mean, the game. The game interesting in the sense that, like, sort of the setup is that uh, it sounds sort of fantastic at first. You know, you're playing as yeah. a ghost, uh, yeah. and you're and you're going around this house, and uh, you know, there there's a husband, a wife, uh, and a child, and basically as the ghost, you're you're able to listen to the internal thoughts and the external thoughts of these different characters and then make some choices about how they choose to spend their time, whether it's, you know, the novelist is, you know, a reference to the the husband who is in the middle yeah. of writing a book and, you know, you can make choices at least this is the demo version I played, I've not finished, played the yeah. full, the no, full game the same. Um, where, you know, you'll make the choice like you uh, go to your uh, to the beach with your son and play with him or do you stay inside and uh, work on your book and and the, the the decisions are intentionally simplistic and sort of exaggerated like the game you know sort of knows that there is maybe a possibility you could do both but it's supposed to imply a certain uh, broader sense of how you choose to spend your time and that, that there are consequences that come out of that that aren't as simple as like do you want to stay in the marriage yes no it's more that like how you choose to spend your time and how you uh, how you make sort of decisions on an everyday level that you don't necessarily think about having long-term impact, uh, how those play out. And it's it seemed like a really fascinating concept, and and I'm not quite sure, you know, how that was actually going to play out and whether it was exactly. worth it.
2: Exactly. And I think mechanically speaking, it's kind of flawed because the, the actual parts of it where you implement your decisions and things are actually quite repetitive, and sometimes, like, it's quite... Wearing, I don't feel like the writing is is strong enough for me to really marry myself to it because mm. a, a lot of the fragments of the, the writing are either too subtle or maybe, um, I don't know, maybe they're not dramatic enough for me to feel like I'm emotionally engaged. And so a lot of it is, I mean, partly it's it could be just because I'm essentially a, a single woman who, you know, isn't in a, like, um, a marriage, and hasn't got a kid, and maybe, but also, like, I feel like actually Gone Home has completely spoiled this game for me, because Mm. it's so easy to compare the two, like, Gone Home is an empty, melancholy house. it's basically about familiar relations, um, it's it's about um, you know the bonds between people, it's about um, having an emotional connection and it's about decisions that are made and the only difference is that you know there are ghosts in, uh, in the
0: novel. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird mechanic that I think disconnects you from your ability to empathize a little bit with the situation. This is
2: exactly what I was thinking, you put your finger exactly on it because Um, I think, actually, I was thinking very deeply about this, and I think that um, the the ability to feel like you belong as a player character in a video game is incredibly important. And I think this doesn't work because I didn't feel like I belonged. Whereas in Gone Home, I think Steve Gaynor was very careful to say, we really wanted you, you, the player, to feel like you belonged in this house. And so we made you a family member.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah. I think the game it kind of either has to, you know, obviously there could be ways it works otherwise, but it seems like games work best when either they completely define you as a player character in the world so you can sort of figure out what your context is and your motivations are, whether you choose to role play as another character or as yourself or as the character that's kind of being portrayed, or the game has to remove that context completely. Like, I think in The Novelist, were you just a free-floating camera that was just, in, like, influencing the characters in a Sims-like fashion? Uh, I think that would allow you to project in a more interesting way than actually defining it as like this ghost because yeah. it just I think it gives the game a fantastic feeling that removes the player from being able to empathize in, in a way that is sort of unnecessary for what the game is trying to mechanically pull off with its with its storytelling um, and yeah. it just puts an unnecessary barrier there that it, it feels like the game wanted to explain why you're doing this in a way that, is actually detrimental for your ability to engage with it.
2: That's exactly it. And I also feel like the, the melancholy atmosphere that Novelist has um, and the feeling of alienation only works if you, as a, a player, feel like you empathize with the alienation of the characters, which I didn't feel like happened. So, um, so in, as a result, I felt alienated as a player instead. Mm. Uh, which is sad, um, but it's such an amazing experiment. I really respect what the developers tried to do, um, and I think, and um, I think it's a really cool achievement that someone has actually made and brought out this game because it's a sign that I think that games are like really coming on in terms of wanting to address relationships in games, which is really cool. Yeah,
0: What's the yeah. Best ghost game. <laughs> <laughs> the best ghost game? Yeah, best
1: ghost game. Best oh. ghost game.
0: Um, how many games do you play as a go- uh, ghost trick? Ghostbusters.
1: Ghost trick.
0: <laughs> I think ghost. I think ghost trick is my answer. Weird how do you said tricks? geist. Surprising. <laughs> well, you know what? Here's what I'll say about geist. You could be a bowl of dog food, and I admire that game to let you be a bowl of dog food. Not many games would 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 allow you to do that. So you know what? Geist deserves some props. Huh? nothing never mind good yeah <laughs> Bad we'll joke. Just, we'll, pretend, we'll pretend that didn't happen um all right well let's go let's go, as we wind down uh the show uh if you want to sh- uh, put questions in the chat uh we'll pull some out of there uh but we should uh, also probably the uh the VGX's happened over the weekend and god did they let's let's just we, i don't think we need to talk about what happened at the VGX's so much as we'll just pretend that there was only a series of text announcements announcing new games and some trailers, and nothing else (laughs) happened. I did
2: my taxes through it.
0: Yeah. Um, I had a really um, good
2: time doing taxes.
0: Yeah, yeah, Joel McHale. um, He was there. He was there. He was Some things came out of his mouth. Can I I say something about the format? Yeah, okay, I'll let you go for it, Alex. This is the one
1: nice thing I want to say about the production of that show. Okay. They finally found an idea and a format that I think could work. The idea of a more conversational show that is not just a big, bombastic, wannabe sort of MTV movie awards is not inherently a terrible idea. Jeff Keighley as a co host is not inherently a terrible idea. He obviously knows the people, he knows how to make those segments work, he can, he can push that stuff through. Everything else about what they got to go inside of that format was fucking (laughs) awful. Joel McHale could not have wanted to be there any less. The music stuff was probably sounded like a way better idea when someone was screaming the idea at a bag of cocaine, but it did not actually work in context with what they had. Getting developers there to actually talk about the games they are announcing or they have won awards for and just actually having conversations about that stuff, that is a great idea. If you can't do that on TV, then web streaming it is a great fucking idea. Get a, if you have to get a celebrity, get back someone who can actually sound like they're excited to be there. Maybe cut back on the musical stuff to the point where it's your one or two things and you don't have the, the lawyer squad just screaming things into a microphone for like 10 minutes at a time. Yep. Because you need to fill three hours, just take the pieces that worked and put the right things into them, and that show could actually be really good. Okay.
0: That and is that what I been, That has been Alex's Thoughts, VGX, 2013. <laughs> uh, please return in a year. Alex will have further thoughts on how he didn't like the VGXs in uh, 2014. It's the first uh, time I thought they were in a better direction. I agree. I, that much. In short, I agree. Um, but let's. Uh, there were a couple of, uh, well, you know, Cranky Kong. Yeah. Cranky Kong is going to be in Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. That's, you know. Innovation. I can't believe that's what Nintendo showed up with. Um,
2: yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, but then tell, Telltale announced the Borderlands.
0: Yeah, Borderlands and, uh, and Game of Thrones. The Borderlands one, yeah. I have to admit, uh, did not know people were invested enough in that world to want to... uh... It seems
2: like the bizarrest pairing, doesn't it? It seems like... Yeah.
0: I feel like someone told...
1: Randy Pitchford, that people were really into that universe, so he <laughs> thought this was a great idea. I don't know anyone who's actually that invested in the Borderlands mythos and story and world to want to play an adventure game set within it. That's
2: I know someone. Anthony Burt do. is very invested. He works there! <laughs> he wrote the game! That doesn't count! If he's the one who told Randy Pitchford that, he...
1: This... Mm,
2: he, I don't oh. know... Bless I don't know. He's such a lovely man. He is. I, I love I'm him. Like, oh man, like I, I just want you to be okay. I want you to be okay.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: But yeah. But Game of Thrones.
0: Yeah, I'm legit excited for Game of Thrones. I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what they do with that. It sounds I think like that would they're. Be good. Yeah, I mean, like Telltale has at least, you know, with The Wolf Among Us, you know, proven that they can, you know, they know how to smartly adapt different types of. uh, of franchises, you know, Game of Thrones is more... I mean, I guess it's it's as dialogue-heavy as it is action-heavy, and I hope that they just stick to their strengths and, not, and just depict the action as opposed to having you be a part of too much of it, because, you know, yeah. any time in Walking Dead where they had you kind of pick up a gun and do stuff... Uh, it didn't really work that well, but the idea of I being feel like able Fables to Game
1: did that stuff better, though. The, it the, did. The Wolf Among Us did better with the action sequence stuff.
0: It it did. You know, it it relegated that stuff to you know quick time events, which you know if you're going to use them, uh, you know uses to depict stuff like that. Uh, but the idea that in like Game of Thrones, you know, you could be you know sort of this political you know manipulator uh, through a bunch of dialogue stuff like that sounds like that could be. Uh, really interesting and really cool. Um, you know I haven't read the books I don't have a broad sense of the you know I watched the show, but you know i'm I'm curious where they end up setting it. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this was set way in the past um so that they weren't sort of constrained by you know what's happening in the show or having to work around that stuff because I know that you know Martin has put out novellas and things like that that are are set in different eras, and I wonder if that might be the way that they try to explore this
2: yeah, and I think um. I think The Walking Dead was actually uh, way, way better than the television show from my experience. Oh, yeah. And so there is a chance that um, they could definitely do something really nice with Game of Thrones um, because I think they um, definitely have the chops. Although they don't have Sean Bannerman and Jake anymore. Correct. So that could go wrong, but we'll see. Um,
1: I think it'll sort of depend on how this second season you know, comes out, because I, I know that those guys, you know, they, they've said that they're pretty confident in what, uh, what, what the direction of season two ended up being, and, you know, I think if Fables has shown anything, or, or The Wolf Among Us has shown anything, it's that they have other people over there who can write really well, and sort of, you know, mold these different universes into their style of game, so... Yeah, I feel like at this point I, I'm I'm very yeah, I can very easily give them the benefit of the doubt for now and and I think that I, I think that there's a ton of promise in in those guys getting a hold of that world.
0: Here's yeah. here's here's a I feel like this is both being slightly snarky and then also a legitimate question is that the books and the television show of Game of Thrones there's a lot of sex in those books mm-hmm. a lot of sex mm-hmm. are they just somehow not going to put that in their game which would seem weird. Uh, yeah. And then also but, games are really bad at depicting that. Yeah. Um and then you try and think about how they would do that in the context of telltale style games which have largely not that great animation. And I just I'm curious how they approach that specific point or if they just do the sort of like, okay, cut to black, like we you know, we'll just imply what's happening. We don't need to show that stuff.
1: Nah, son. Sexual mini games <laughs> where at the very end if you don't perform no. well.
0: No. Character will
1: remember that.
0: No,
2: remember yeah, right? that you
1: were mad at the sex.
2: Oh, that's terrifying, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in my in my brain, it's like all those horrible David Cage, made. Yeah, that's what i That's and... what I'm afraid of. Oh, but yeah, no, I know what you. I know what you mean because I feel like that's actually kind of an essential part of the um, of the actual like series. Um, it is very. It's very sex orientated. Um, so, yeah, I really do wonder what they're going to do with that. I mean, I wonder, are they going to have tits? Like, I, mean, the, I don't know, because like, in, in
0: Game of Thrones, like, sex is used as a tool like, by the characters yeah. on the show, like both the men and the women. It's not mm. just, you know, the, I think the show is overly gratuitous in, in a way that it doesn't need to be sometimes, but uh, like, sex is a tool for those characters. And yeah. to ignore that sex is used for powerful reasons in the Game of Thrones universe I think would be to ignore a huge part of that fiction and so I'm I don't know especially because you know the ESRB is very uh, Um, anti-sex you know how how they get away with the bouncing act of including that stuff without suddenly becoming an AO game like I don't know if because if they have sort of a cartoonish look to it you know or a stylized look that they'd be able to get around
1: some yeah. of that, but that
0: that seems like a really challenging problem for them because you're Just making it. Just wait until a... they get to the digital dongs, man. That's that's a whole
1: other thing that you gotta you gotta oh, get around.
2: Man, I got I got really I got told off on Rock Paper Shotgun from, from I had this one screenshot of you know that um Saints Row 4 screenshot of the uh, the the dong that has been blacked out in this little box, yes. and I um, <laughs> just put that on the front page of Rock Paper Shotgun, I think about four times in a week, and, um, and everyone who was reading at work made a Cara filter, so that they didn't read my post, because I'm apparently not safe for work. So,
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's a badge of honor that you can put on your resume. I, I
2: think agree. so, too. I think so, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel proud. But yeah, no, dongs are a problem in video games. You don't see very many of them in them, definitely. Um, Video games are a
1: problem. They do. (laughs) (laughs) They
2: do. But yes, there there are a few on uh, free indie games, so uh, check those out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, check out those dongs. Says Kara Ellison from Rock Paper Shotgun. We're going to tribute all dong quotes to Kara Ellison from Rock Paper Shotgun. All
2: dongs, all the time. (laughs) All (laughs) the (laughs) time.
0: Uh let's see. Uh, I don't know. And there's a couple other small things, you know. There were there're were new mechs announced for Titanfall, big shock. Um but we that was cool. about We have to what? talk about the one thing. The one okay. thing. What's the one thing? Hollow no, Sky, man. Yeah. Yeah. How is that, that being made by four people? That seems impossible.
2: Well, people Literally impossible. That, I remember people said that about um Sorry, you're being hunted. Do you remember? People were mm-hmm. like, "How are you making that game by yourself, Jim?" Uh and Jim's like, "Well, I'm not." Uh but it's um, obviously, it's a massive scale, and uh, and yeah, like I I feel like they can do it. But the problem I think for me is with procedural generation, it's really hard to make it interesting. Right. Because you're, right. you're using the same, reusing the same assets all, over and over again. So you need to make it look like new territory each time, and that's going to be the problem I think for them. Um, but that's the only thing. I think they'll solve it. They'll be fine.
0: Yeah, I definitely hope so. I mean, the Hello Games is is a <clears throat> is a smart studio. Joe Danger is a is a you know Joe Danger two kind of got, I think, ignored because people kind of got their fill from the original game. But mm. um, they're both excellent games. And yeah, you know, I, I the only thing that worries me is that this got such a huge response that you know the bar I think the expectations for this game are now enormous. Right. Um, and, and, you know, that can be a good thing or a bad thing, you know, that can, you know, that just motivates the team, that, you know, that it, it raises the profile of that game in a way that, you know, you know for, you know, to give a little bit of credit to the VGX is like, a game like this would not have gotten a platform like this anywhere else, and, right. and to, you know, if you're looking for positives out of a show like that, that is largely just a commercial, um, you know, people showed up to see things like, a new Game of Thrones or you know Titanfall and they also got exposed to a game like No Man's Sky and and that's that is a good thing that is good for that developer yeah. that's good for the industry um, and I, I'm I'm excited for them like they Hello Games is is a solid studio and you know they're obviously solving the fact that or their, their ability to try and solve the fact that they're only four people is procedural like they can't handcraft an entire universe so their mm-hmm. way of solving that is making it procedural and yeah you know Carrie you're right like the the tough part for them is making the procedural stuff actually interesting and not repetitive, and that everything feels like it truly is your own um, in in a way that uh, you feel attached to, and and that's that that problem is is certainly not an easy one to solve. Yeah,
2: no. yeah, definitely. I think I think Hello Games as well. They have such an amazing uh, amazing kind of uh, process for making something feel great. I think Joe Danger, particularly. You know that you know when you you pull down, and then you let go for that jump. Like, that feeling of jumping is such a fantastic feeling. Like, it's one of the best, like, gamey feels that we have uh, in terms of, you know, that feeling of, like, like holding down and letting go and going, like, crazy and across the screen. And it's, mm. like, really joyous. Like, that feeling is amazing. And, and just that they're making a space game, I feel like that is actually just really exciting, because I feel like they actually might f- f- make f- space travel feel amazing as well. So I'm kind of excited for that.
1: Yeah, I, I think the key is going to be them unveiling what the game part of that is because as cool as the the gigantic universe sounds and all the procedurally generated stuff sounds, They can get by with that stuff not being quite as cool as it sounds, you know, in the most stratospheric kind of, you know, expectations possible, as long as the game part of it is interesting and fun and, you know, like keeps you wrapped up in it. If that thing is just like a crazy tech demo that doesn't have a whole lot of game to it, that's not going to do it. But I have enough trust in those guys to know how to make, you know, fun and interesting, weird games that I think they can probably build something pretty. Significantly cool around that stuff. They can, and I think they can also get past that hump of hype
0: as long as the game part works. Sure. All uh, right, well, uh, there is one sort of like common thread of, of questions that people wanted to ask Kara uh, mm-hmm. about. It was something that we actually talked about on the show, and I'm sure you've talked about a number of places elsewhere, but, um, and you wrote, recently wrote about uh, extrapolating this out, but when you wrote about Hotline Miami 2 and your yeah. uh, experience with that, And then you recently wrote a uh, sort of a larger feature on your site about sort of the role of the critic, the idea of iteration, like what it means for a designer to get feedback, and then how that gets incorporated in the development process. Um, Why don't you talk a little about that recent uh, column you wrote about that and how that kind of fits into the context of sort of that big reaction you generated with your Hotline Miami 2 piece.
2: Well, I think... um I think it's really important to recognize that creators have the ultimate power over whatever they make and no one's no one's uh, stopping you from making the thing that you want, the creative product that you want I think um, and criticism is incredibly important at all stages of making something because um, you want to make sure that your the creative thing that you're making is reaching the kind of people that you want I think that that's really important to consider. who is who do you want to make it for and are they are they happy and why aren't they happy? And are you okay with people being unhappy about a certain aspect of your work? Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to address. but in video games in particular, there's um, iteration is done by a process of criticism and that's mostly done in-house, but it's also done outside of house. like for example the Mass Effect 3, Um, thing where um, people demanded another ending to that. That's also an iterative process where the developers themselves decided, okay, we want to make these people happy. Here's how we're going to do it. And so they then um, made another ending for it. And so it's actually just a really normal process. And the idea that people are saying it's censorship is kind of weird because censorship is actually like a uh, like a, an authority, usually a government authority, saying, Actually, you can't put your creative product out in public. But when a, criti- a critical conversation happens where someone says, oh, I, I, I didn't find this to hit the spot for me, or I didn't find this to work, um, that's actually, you can have that conversation because that kind of work is already out in public. So um, there's no censorship process going on there. What censorship actually is, is like, for example, in the UK, the BB- BBFC. Uh, didn't refuse to rate Manhunt 2, and so that was actually effectively banned here in the UK. That's actually censorship. It it meant that no one could actually play uh, this game, and um, not many people knew why either. I mean, people assumed it was because it was too violent, but um, I'm not sure at the time it was entirely clear because no one had played it. Um, maybe some critics have played it, I think, but you could you could get them you could get manhunt 2 from other countries, obviously um, like and import them but it was it was a problem of censorship, and you know, I think that criticism is always always useful, and actually most of the cries of censorship that you'll find um, on the internet about like people criticizing a game neg- negatively criticizing it come from um Not the developers, the developer most of the most of the time the developers aren't those people. in fact, developers are really really do welcome criticism and I think that makes all of our jobs um, really important. Um, I think it's important to criticize positively and negatively all of the time. I think it's um, it's an art in itself as well it's a, it's an important job.
1: One yeah. thing I've learned about the internet is that most of the words the internet thinks it knows it doesn't actually know the meaning of so
2: this is yeah this is a problem i think perhaps is an essential misunderstanding of the word censorship yeah um, but it's and also and also, criti-
0: also probably criticism right? yes, you know, criticism criticism is is thought of as inherently negative when yes. it, that, that that's not actually you know at least how yeah. I think about it
2: no um, um criticism is um it can be um any kind of uh like analytical sort of um sort of writing so i think yeah, like, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what my particular job is, which is to just say, this is how I felt about this particular, particular situation. I'm not the only person writing about uh, Hotline Miami 2. I was just the only person who brought up that issue because it was an issue for me personally. Mm-hmm. And, if you, and, and if you're a creator who made Hotline Miami 2, um, if you were the developers of that game, and you were happy to have me, or the type of person I am, um, unhappy with that section of the game, then you just put it out as is like i don't see a problem with that i you know i'm not demanding that they change it i just i just gave an opinion um i think it's important to give your opinion because there's so many perspectives there's a million and one perspectives you know? i
1: think the discomfort a lot of people tend to feel is that they view anyone with a platform who is pushing in a direction other than what they want as someone lobbying for censorship or something like that it's not that you are actually trying to agenda. get them to change it agenda agenda yeah, it's that you actually agenda. have a platform in which to, you know, express your opinion on things and your voice, yeah. and they think that by virtue simply of you having that platform, you are using it to push, again, as Patrick said, an agenda. Which no, that's not inherently agenda. Those two things do not inherently link. You know, you you can have an opinion and you can express, you know, your your feelings on something like that without necessarily saying so. Therefore, they have to change this because I feel this way.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, you, I,
1: you're just expressing yourself.
2: That's, that's right, and as I say in the piece, um, there is no journalist without an agenda. There is no journalist with an objective view of anything. In fact, every single person on the planet has a different perspective on everything, because we're all different from each other. We all grew up in a different kind of family atmosphere, we all grew up you know, having differences from each other that people react differently to, and it shapes and conditions our lives. And so it's very, very difficult to ever, ever um, actually, not have an agenda. Like you cannot be objective, um, and I, I think I argue that in an okay way in the piece. I hope I explain myself. But um, I, th- I think, I think it's think also it's- interesting
0: to put in the context that you know that you have worked on games as well. You know, I think yeah. often, I think often when I, uh, you know, when I've gotten feedback about this, and when I've read others who've gotten feedback about this. Um, you know, it's that like, oh, you're just, you know, you're a game writer, and like, because you have a platform, you have a disproportionate microphone to, to express these views. You know, for you in particular, like, you know, expressing those viewpoints, you're also, you know, have worked on games, so you're used to getting that kind of feedback, or, you know, or at least soliciting feedback and finding ways to interpret, well, like, you know, what is useful feedback, what isn't useful mm-hmm. feedback, what is feedback that, you know, allows us to better express the point that we want to uh, get across.
2: Yeah. I mean, me me in particular, like I have a lot of experience with QA, um, and I did a lot of um, not only for for Rockstar North, but I did um, in house QA on a lot of uh, Little Light stuff, and a lot of it was a process of deciding where in the QA process, like what is useful feedback that um, some of our testers were giving, and what what are we going to leave in the game, and what are we not going to leave in the game, and what do we have time to fix, and what do we not have time to fix, and. Um, is this sending the correct message? And a lot of the time we, we were asking people, like, you know, is this effective like, or, or is this offensive? Or, you know, like, for a lot of our games, um, like, we wanted to put up across a particular message, say, we're making a game for little girls. We wanted those girls um, to feel a certain way about our games. And so we needed the, the feedback on that. And so, yeah, a lot of it is really deciding um, how much you're going to take on board and whether you have time to do it, and, and lots of different decisions and, like, different ways um, to sort of measure, like, who your game is, is for. And it's, it's always really important, and critics are important for that, too. I guess QA are kind of, like, just in-house critics, in-house game critics. Mm. Uh, that's all they do. Um, and they're just slightly more technical-minded, I think.
0: Right. Well, the, the last thing I at least want to give you a chance to plug... Uh, is you had, you were a writer on a big special, a Charlie Brooker special that just aired, right? Yeah,
2: that's right. I was on the writing team for um, How Video Games Changed the World, which I think is like a slightly dramatic title myself, <laughs> uh, because it's mainly about um, the history of games and like how they influenced, um, well, usually games and culture like, w- within themselves. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, It's a droll look at some of our uh, most influential titles. Um, Obviously, um, there are some things that we had to miss out or cut. Um, We were, I think, originally going to put Gone Home in it and other things, but we kind of ran out of space. But it's like an hour and a half, uh, almost. And um, I'm not sure how people outside of the UK are going to get hold of it, is the only thing, because it was made for Channel 4 in the UK and aired on our TV, I think, uh, two weeks ago, maybe? A week ago or something now. Um, I think it's on, I'm, pre- up on
0: the web? it's on YouTube. I think I'm pretty okay. sure I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I, I know I, I embedded it in yeah. my my worth reading feature on Friday, and
2: okay, it, cool. play, it played
0: for me. So I, I think they they just put it up on YouTube for people.
2: They, to watch. Yeah, I mean they might have taken it down now because I'm not sure it can show. <laughs> that, the, <laughs> that might have been
0: unauthorized. Know. That's possible too.
2: I think it might have been unauthorized, but um, certainly you could probably try legal means to get hold of it. Definitely. Um, there are but, ways yeah. on the internet. There are ways. There are definitely ways, but yeah, and um, and um, yeah, like uh, everyone has been super complimentary about it. Um, it you know, that's great. That's super great. I'm
0: glad. Awesome. Well, Kara, we have definitely appreciate you having on uh, this morning. I guess. Now, early evening for you. It's like, what, 5.30 yeah. over there now? Well,
2: it's weird. It's half past four, which is, you know, it's unusually dark. I mean, this is, uh, you know. this. You've is... gotten
0: darker as the show has gone on.
2: I know. It's really weird. I mean, I feel like I'm in, you know, north of the wall in Game of Thrones. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, this is Britain for you, um. So, yeah, I hope I, hope I can uh, see my way home, basically.
0: Yeah. <laughs> also, well, where, where can people follow you? Like, where can they continue to follow your work? Sure. And obviously, we will have you on again sometime, but in the meantime, where, where can people uh, continue to track your work?
2: Um, well, was super nice of you to have me. Um, you can find my website at caraellison.co.uk, it's C-A-R-A-E-L-L-I-S-O-N.co.uk, or um, you can follow me on Twitter. I tweet a lot. Um, you do. You
0: are, you are a big tweeter.
2: I'm a big tweeter. Um, I tweet a lot at um, Caratone. C A R A C H A N Carachan. one. 1. So follow me there.
0: Awesome, Alex. What do you What do you got? What's on your agenda this week? Oh this. no! <laughs> oh. oh.
1: Um, yeah, so I'll be reviewing that sometime this week, uh, and then the rest of it, I'm I'm working on getting our uh, our special guest top ten list together for uh, for game That's of right, the year stuff. That's right. I'm working
0: with you on that. I have uh, I have some emails to sort through to to make sure we finalize uh, that list. Um, As do I. Yeah, we we need to get on that stuff, um, mm-hmm. and then I may or may not be getting on a plane to San Francisco on Wednesday morning. Uh, Is that so happening? Yeah. do? I'm. Uh, we're all. We're in the middle of. Uh, we're starting game of the year stuff for for Giant Bomb. So cool. I might be on a plane on Wednesday morning and around on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, right, can so, you give us
2: hints? Can you give us hints? Um, t-
0: I don't think we could because I. We don't even really know what's going on.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So AI
0: 14 get... game of the year Giant yeah. Bomb. So that's my, my way of getting around <laughs> hints. Is that I don't know what's going on. <laughs>
2: My game of year um, is Slave of God by Incipare, which was a January game. So for the entire year, I've been going, is that game good? So,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, <laughs> Kara, it's been truly a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for, for our you. morning show. We will have you on again uh, sometime soon if, uh, if you allow it, if you allow that, it. Hopefully you be- did not have too terrible a time.
2: No, that would be wonderful. And next time I'll invest in some lights. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, We've got we'll some Christmas lights behind you. So next time I need to I
2: you know, just I those put in. them on. I'll, I'll plug them on next time. All
0: right. Awesome. All right, well, Alex, I will. Uh, I think I'll talk to you on Friday. I think we'll be able let's, to. Let's assume off. we will. Yeah. Okay. okay. All, right. all right, Kara, thanks again. And Alex, uh, I will talk to you on Friday. Woo.